everybody. Welcome back to the Witten Whiskey Cast. We're officially back for season five. They didn't cancel us off the air. No, they tried, though. I mean, the, the great Twitter war of 2022 had a high casualty rate. It's true. But I am, of course, DJ Gagnon, your host, uh, along with my co-host, Mark Rossetti. I don't know if I'm allowed to speak yet, but I'm going to anyway. <laughs> we, we did a lot of pre-show... Uh, well, I, I'd say banter, but that's putting it politely. <laughs> it is. There, there may be some drops later. <laughs> oh, fuck it, A. But no, we're back. Um, we, we're going to, you know, it's full season, season five. We're, we're going to hit it hard. We've got a lot of great topics. Uh, we've got a full episode today, not just in terms of topic, but in terms of uh, whiskey news, in terms of tools of the trade. And uh, I'm unfortunately going to uh, fulfill a bet that I lost or a deal I made or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> yeah, but we're, we're not to that section yet. You still have to stare at that glass for a little bit longer. No, staring at it's the fine part. It's the smell. <laughs> you, you have to understand, I have lost essentially two of my senses. I, I, I have more than 50% hearing loss. And my vision is a step above legally blind without my glasses. And when one of your senses fails, the other ones get stronger. So the three senses I have left are like fucking daredevil. <laughs> and, oh, God, the smell. Well, this is why we keep our promises, folks. <sighs> but before we get to this, uh, what you been up to in the last week? Well, uh, we, we did some, you know, we did some work biz. Uh, we got that all situated. We're roll, we're lo- rolling along. I, I think we're good. We have not one, but two new exhibits going to be opening in the museum shortly. So that's fun. Um, and I'm continuing to corrupt. I mean, been turned and turn. So you know, <laughs> we, we have that. <clears throat> Who, whose bright idea was it to give you an intern? Hey, you want that work experience, you know? You got to do what you got to do, poor kid. <laughs> Putting in the bless, time. Bless him. He's he, he's a hard worker, but he's, uh, yeah, he is putting in the time. So, you know, we, we have all that going on. Now, I, I told you in our, our pre-show just raging that, you know, today specifically, not even this week, today, I ordered Chinese, and I have a weird bitch about China, the Chinese today. All right, let's hear it. And, you know, I'm a white man with a microphone, so everybody's going to hear it. <clears throat> so I ordered from our favorite place across the street. You've been there. You've had their food That's when you've come good. in to visit. Never have a problem with it. Don't have a problem with the food today. It was delicious. I ordered uh, the house special pan-fried noodles. So now you get white rice. Then you get the pan-fried noodles. And then they put... All sorts of vegetables, you know, snap peas and little baby corns and carrots and onions and all sorts of shit. And then you get beef, chicken, and shrimp all on top. Jesus. Here is my weird bitch. Too much beef, chicken, shrimp, and vegetables, not enough actual noodles. Huh. Who are you? Go go less generous with the meat. Give me more of the pan-fried noodles. <laughs> And, I mean, that's the cheap part. You think that's where they would have went. Yeah. Huh. But it was very good. We also got the fried pork dumplings, which are just... Mm, Divine. Mwah. 
Okay, so I have an opinion about Chinese food places. Okay. Uh, I find that there are two different kinds of duck sauce that they offer, and one is really good and one sucks. Okay. Have you have you encountered this at all? You like the orange duck sauce, don't you? I like the one that has like, it, like it's not super smooth and corn syrupy. Like it, I guess it's probably orangey. You like, like the chunky duck sauce. I mean, it's not. I I wouldn't say it's chunky, but it's not. It's it's almost apple saucy. Yeah. Okay. I agree with that sentiment. That's the good one. And then there's one that just tastes like corn syrup and bitterness. And I don't like that one. <laughs> See, I don't think the taste is that radically different. I think it's mostly the consistency. I have no opinion either way. I will eat either or duck sauce. Well, um, you heard I, it here first, folks. He also lost the third cent, sense, his, uh, his ta- sense of taste. Says the man who doesn't eat cilantro. Yeah, because I don't like eating soap. See, at least you have the genetic defect. You know, Allie just doesn't like cilantro. She's like, no, it doesn't taste like soap. It just tastes like sadness. And I'm like, wow, (laughs) I don't like you anymore. That's good. And the poor waiter at the New Mexican place by the office was very uncomfortable. Because I don't think he knew we were co-workers. He thought he was witnessing a breakup. They did open a new Mexican place downtown. Uh, it's fucking fantastic. Actually, it's the Mexican place we all went to where we got the table side block with no cilantro. We made fun of you for it. No, nice. They opened a satellite restaurant. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so it's all coming up aces. All right. What about you? What did you do this week? Uh, I mean, it's been a fucking week, man. Um, I did have my minor surgery last week. Uh, that was fun. And you're still here. I am. They properly numbed it this time, so I didn't feel anything while they were slicing and dicing back there. It's generally good. Yeah. Uh, but now I, I I was trying to make do with, like, the few remaining gauze pads I had and some crappy tape. And um, I, uh, I'm, I'm just, I just apparently have really sensitive skin and like normal medical tape rips me up. Like it's the most masculine I've ever felt, buddy. Um, so like, you know, not having a lot of pain at all from, from the actual procedure, but the medical tape makes my skin raw and puffy. So I had to go out today and get like hypoallergenic medical tape and gauze pads and bacitracin and antibacterial soap just to keep an infection out of this thing. So uh, that's kind of where I'm at with my journey right now. Um, I just, you know, I can take a punch with the best of them in martial arts, but I can't deal with medical tape. Well, you know, I'm sitting here laughing at your plight, but I can sort of relate uh, a couple of years ago when I had the uh, cadaver bone inserted in my jaw to kind of rebuild it, the, oral surgeon was fantastic i did not feel a thing you know i mean he was just using all sorts of various novocaines and things but i didn't feel a thing but then it came about you know it was two weeks of no solid food yeah and i am a fat angry man (laughs) so uh you know there's only so much stuff you could put in a food processor and just puree the shit out of it (laughs) 
So I, I kind of can relate there. You know, the actual procedure often is just the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I like, I, I mean, I've had infections and stuff happen. Like, I, I know how serious this stuff can get. But I'm just sitting there whining like a baby because my skin hurts because the medical tape tears it up. I'm flaking. This is not good. No. But it's all good. Holly's been a trooper, and she's been helping me put the pad uh, on my back every, twice a day and change out bandages and stuff. So other than that, not not too much going on. It's, I mean, it is my birthday tomorrow as we're recording. It, it is your birthday tomorrow. Um, I, I still haven't, you know, decided if I want to drag this recording session out to midnight or not, just to wish you a happy birthday. <laughs> I'm on the fence. We'll see how it goes. We'll see. Uh, so now what are you? Are you the big three, five now? It is the big three, five this year. Oh God. It's just, just 35 was hard for me. I'm only six months in, but it was hard. <laughs> a lot, a lot of parts broke down. <laughs> so there's a good downward spiral I can look forward to. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, they, they, everybody told me that when I hit 30, your warranty expires. Well, maybe, but I had a few years of overrun. It seemed like 35 when everything started breaking and then I didn't have the warranty to take it back. So, yeah, see, I, I had all my, like, back issues a couple of years ago, and, and, and you know, I just got this, this thing removed last week, so, I, you know, it's fine. Being in my 30s is fine. I hear things actually weirdly get okay again in your 40s. I mean, hopefully we'll find out. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see. 35 is fine. We went out to dinner tonight. Uh, my dad and his partner took me out to dinner, and we went out to... <laughs> I mean, I'm not sure how much you would like this place. It's a vegan-only restaurant. Now, I, we actually have had a couple of those pop up in town, not too far from the office. And I will say one thing, and this is going to sound really patronizing, but I don't mean it to. They actually make really good smoothies. <laughs> That's fair. Um, the, the one place by my bank makes a mean banana smoothie. So that's pretty good. Yeah. The, uh, this place is great. It's called the green elephant, uh, in downtown Portsmouth. It's fantastic. Uh, they've also weirdly got uh, like one of the best cocktail programs in Portsmouth. So that's why I like going, uh, but their food is also really good. They generally have just bonkers, good desserts. Um, first time ever trying vegan sorbet tonight. It was really tasty. Yeah, I'd be all about that. I would try that. Mm. But yeah, um, hey, buddy, what you uh, what you drinking? Well, I may have broken our sacred blood oath and racked up a hundred and some dollar cocktail tab, including a forty five dollar shot of Johnny Walker Blue Label. So. As promised in some of our trailers slash toasts, they all ran together because we recorded a shitload of them together. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm going to attempt to drink some of this bottle of bird dog peach <laughs> that has been upstairs on my bar for I don't know how long. <laughs> I know I didn't buy it. <laughs> Someone <laughs> left it here after a party. Uh, now, I'm going to say, I took my photo, you know, we, we, we do photos for the social media. I've taken my photo already, and I'm going to, and I've edited it already. I'm going to send it to you, just because I want to get your reaction, because I put it in a special glass. 
So I'm sending, I'm messaging this to you now, live, as we record this. <laughs> I can't wait for this. And now I don't know if you could quite make the glass out. Is that a skull? Yes, it, it, it is an outer, uh, it is an outer glass glass, and then the inside is carved so that when it's poured in, it forms a skull. Because this will kill me. Dude, <laughs> so this is that's my... such a big bottle of Burntock Beach. Oh my god! So this is my memento mori here. Now, you have I... so much more of this whiskey than I thought you had. Because I don't drink it. <laughs> I thought you just had a nip like I no! did. No, <laughs> someone left a bottle of it at my house. Now, I am professional, ladies and gentlemen. So I'm going to attempt to review this <laughs> the way we normally do our reviews. <clears throat> Coming at you live, Tale from the Well. This, oh, God. It's a septic tank is more like it. So now this is the official blurb I can find. Because if you Google... Like, now, you know, folks, how, like, when you Google different things, if you're close enough, it'll, like, you know, correct you. It'll be like, oh, did you mean this? And nine times out of ten that it's right. Um, so I Googled Bird Dog Peach Whiskey Reviews because I don't know what the fuck to say about this. I need some show notes. And Google came up, do you need mental help? And I was like, yes, I do, Google. <laughs> but so because of that, I have found the official sales line from the Total Wine and More chain stores up and down West Orange County, New Jersey. <laughs> so this is what a West Orange County, New Jersey liquor store has to say about Bird Dog Peach. Okay. <clears throat> Made in the USA. An incredible fusion of peach flavor and warm whiskey, creating a juicy, savory spirit with a delicious fragrance. You lie. Enjoy this smooth, easy-to-drink whiskey, simply on the rocks or with a splash of your favorite iced tea. Ugh. The only <laughs> thing I don't like, iced tea. Um, so that's that. Uh, it's 40% AVB. I believe I'm trying to find what the fuck the ingredients are besides, you know, artificial peach flavoring, I'm trying to get some sort of a mash bill here. Cause again, we're, 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 uh, professionals. It is a blend of barley, corn, and wheat, which they don't even fucking disclose the, the ratios here. And of course it's officially a Kentucky American style whiskey, which the great Commonwealth of Kentucky should not own this. <sighs> So, that being said, I have been prepping my palate for the last hour or so. Um, I've been trying to cause as much physical pain to my person as possible to numb myself and desensitize myself. So, I sat through an entire episode of Young Rock, and I've been drinking Miller Lite. <laughs> so, I'm in a pretty dark place right now, folks. All right. So, here we go with... I've not sampled this. I have not tasted this. I've never had this in my life before. This is going to be the live, genuine reaction. When you... So, okay. So, the, the overall wafting smell is pretty awful because it just kind of smells like sugar. Yeah. You, you don't even get the peach smell. But if you get close enough and you sniff it, 
and you get like a really big whiff of it on the, the very tip of your nose. It does smell like one of those gummy peach rings. If you know what I'm talking about, it smells exactly like that. And then you just get all the pure sugar. So. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so I was not ready for the consistency. <laughs> it's it's syrupy. It's very syrupy. <laughs> I, I was not expecting that. I should um, I should probably remind the audience that I did. I did review like back in season two or season one, Bird Dog, uh, Blackberry. So I I did give give Mark a warning on what to expect here. Now, if you go back and I don't remember what season it was, I reviewed just actual straight Bird Dog whiskeys. They actually make a whiskey flavored whiskey. It was pretty terrible, but it wasn't syrupy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very sweet. Oh, it, it tastes kind of the way it smells. You do get a, a hint of liquidy uh, peach ring. Like, you know, if you were trying to make peach ring vodka almost, you know, every, almost every college kid tried that experiment with gummies or with Skittles. You get a hint of that. And then it just turns to just pure sugar. And then it goes to like a weird burn. <laughs> but, like, in, it's not strong by any stretch of the imagination, but it's just like, it's not done yet. They they didn't finish distilling it. It's like flaming sugar. <laughs> um, and the whole time, it's just very heavy on your tongue. It's kind of the way, you know, I imagine oysters are. <laughs> oh, I still have half a glass of this. I hate you. <laughs> I well, just, oh. what did we learn, Mark? <sighs> we learned that. You are not a man to be crossed. <laughs> oh, I'm going to take one more sip of this, and I'm going back to the Miller Lite. <laughs> oh, oh. oh, you go. Go. What are you drinking? Oh. Uh, well, I am drinking Glen Morangy Nectar Dior 12 here. Oh, fuck off! <laughs> Just seriously. God! Uh, the mash bill is 100% malted barley. Uh, it's aged 12 years. It's 46% ABV. Uh, and it is cask aged. It's actually double cask aged. Um, uh, it is a scotch that is first cask aged in, an, in uh, former bourbon barrels. And then it's cask aged in uh, Sauterne bottles, which is a French dessert wine. So uh, it's pretty amazing. Uh, I I recommend this if you're buying it as a gift or you want to request it as a gift because it is a $70 bottle, I, I found. I got a tasting kit for sale over the holidays. So uh, that's also a great way to try to test out Glenmorangie because you can get these t- t- tasting kits every now and then. Uh, they say... Each sip is like sending your senses on holiday to a French patisserie, and they are pretty damn close. So, two things. Well, three things. Number one, I hate you. <laughs> Number two, uh, when you mentioned the price, uh, I neglected to mention the price of the bird dog peach in my review. Mm-hmm. It's a whopping twelve ninety nine a fifth. Yeah. Uh, but, no, you mentioned the price, $70 bottle. 
And again, I'm, I'm chuckling to myself in between gags here because, again, uh, last week, if you, if you didn't listen to our Toast and Whiskey interseason episode, you really should because we argue about a list where they name the nine best whiskeys for beginners. And Glimmer Angie Nectar Dior is actually one of their nine recommendations. So a seventy-plus dollar bottle is perfect for a beginner. Yeah, clearly they could enjoy everything DJ just said. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's really good. It's nice and warm. Uh, it, it, there's a sweetness to it that I would say doesn't have a syrupy quality, which is really nice. Um, and it does kind of uh, you, you kind of get a little bit like a it's it's kind of desserty. It's kind of got hints of some caramels and some almonds. Um, it's definitely a little bit of spice in the back end, uh, but the the warmth lingers, which is really nice. Uh, it 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 does have a nice burn on the tail end. Uh, so if you're looking to get into uh, scotches, maybe don't start with uh, the uh, Nectar Dior in the Glenmorangie line, um, but it, it's very good. Uh, it, it is a Highland Scotch, so if you're looking to get into scotches and you're not quite sure where to start, um, you know I always recommend Highland, Northside, Speysides uh, for people who are looking to get into it. Um, you know, if you're not quite sure if you're a fan of the actual bog water itself. Uh, so this is a great way to try it out. I like it. It actually, um, Mark, it doesn't taste too scotchy. You know, scotchy kind of has a flavor profile, and, and uh, Nectar Dior doesn't... Uh, it, there's definitely a little bit of it here, but it just kind of tastes like whiskey. I think it's probably the Cascade that did it. I would take a, a glass of legitimate bog water over this. I would, I would take, you want to know how desperate I am right now? <laughs> I would take a glass of cognac. Hey, cognac's And fine. not even good cognac. I would take a glass of Hennessy <laughs> over what I'm drinking right now. <laughs> Get that drop. <laughs> Save that for later reviews. <laughs> so what do we got for whiskey news? If you can kind of pry your tongue away from that syrup. Yeah. Well, we're going to talk about, uh, we're going to try to give, you know, everyone hope. We're going to talk on the far other end of the scale. You know, when you're not at the twelve ninety nine a fifth bottle, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, whiskey allocation. Huh. And so basically, you'll often hear us talk about rare bottles, hard to find bottles, you know, a couple times over the last five seasons. I've been entered in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania's, you know, rare whiskey lottery and, and don't fucking win. Uh, well, the reason for that is because of the system we have here in America, which dates back to, of course, prohibition and immediately thereafter. So because of that, in the United States, we have sort of a three tiered distribution method uh, for liquor. And so because of that, the really high-end stuff, and not even necessarily the really high-end stuff, but the rarer stuff and the uh, more in-demand stuff gets allocated kind of funny. And so basically if you hear that a bottle is rare, that a bottle is limited edition, that a bottle is uh, limited purchase, you know, you can only buy one bottle, two bottles, three bottles, these all fall under the same category of allocated whiskeys. And 
of course, you can have allocated anything. You can have allocated wines. You can have allocated champagnes. But for the purposes of this podcast, we're going to talk about the whiskeys, the bourbons, the scotches, etc. Um, so basically, you have importers slash producers. Uh, they're the one tier. Then you have distributors, which is sort of the middle tier. And then, of course, you have the bottom tier, which is the retailers, which is where you actually purchase your whiskey from. Some states kind of blend those. Like in Pennsylvania, the uh, distributors and the retailers are kind of the same because the state has an ironclad monopoly they won't get rid of. Uh, but if you live in a free state, you have that three-tiered system. And the allocation is generally done in the middle level. The producers or the importers, they don't generally give a shit who buys what. Um, if you look at it, the way we look at, you know, say a PlayStation 5, somebody doesn't care that nobody can actually buy one. Mm. They have all their money from the box. Yeah. So whatever happens, happens. So the allocation usually happens at the middle level. And because of that, shit rolls downhill. The bottom level, the retailers, they get burned. Uh, likewise, the distributors kind of use it as a carrot and a stick. Let's say, you know, I'm a major whiskey warehouse serving 10 states in the midwest and dj is a, a liquor store tycoon and he's one of my best customers i'm going to make sure he gets an extra case of buffalo trace versus you know somebody else because i can i can control exactly where it goes as long as we buy however many bottles we said we're going to buy it doesn't matter where they end up now there's you know and the, the names you know the most of them you Eagle Rare, you know, uh, Sazerac, we already, I already mentioned Buffalo Trace, uh, Blanton's, uh, of course, uh, the, you know, the Van Winkles, uh, that's always the big one everybody's trying to get. The problem with this is, of course, it creates the secondary market. You can... The last rare bottle lottery I entered, I entered for a couple of bottles that were $125 a bottle. And uh, a friend of mine, a friend of the show, Jason, he said to me, what are you going to do with that if you win? And I said, going to keep it on the shelf and I'll have a glass and I'll probably review it on the show for a special episode. And he said, well, I tell you what, it's $125 a bottle. If you win, sell it to me, I'll give you $1,000 and give you a glass. Wow. And that was unprovoked, unasked, unwhatever. <laughs> of course, I didn't win. <laughs> but, you know, it was what it was. Uh, <clears throat> of course, it's all very hush-hush. Uh, you will often hear... The, I suppose the only nice thing about having the crazy liquor monopoly that we have here in the state is that they do do their lottery, and it is as fair and open as a lottery can be, which I know that's a big gray area, but at least you know how the bottles are getting out. Okay. You know, they're raffling off this many bottles. It is what it is. Most states, if you just call up, um, that don't have a, you know, any government entity involved, you call the distributors. They just go, oh, we don't talk about that. Don't, don't worry about it. So, uh, you know, why do they, uh, allocate one? It's to control the, the market. You have to keep demand high. You have to keep the secondary market high because as soon as you get these bottles, people will buy them, they'll flip them, they'll redo it again. Again, it's the PlayStation 5 scenario. But the other thing and the thing that I don't think it's talked about enough is 
like, okay, you have these 15-year-old bottles, these 20-year-old bottles. You know, the Pappy Van Winkle's 20 years old. It takes 20 years to make them. <laughs> you need to tie in some form of control just because there literally aren't that many around. And so the demand is super high, but yet at the same time, your quantity is going to be until we invent time travel, which we'll talk about a little later with dream cars. <laughs> but until we invent time travel, there really is no better way uh, to do this. So the best ways to do this are never, ever call the distributor because they ain't going to tell you shit. Call your retailer. Uh, don't be afraid to call the little guys. You know, the big chains oftentimes get the bottles, but they'll keep them back. They'll mark them up. They'll save them for the bigger uh, competitors. The little independent mom and pop stores, if you have them, you know, they might call, you might call them up and say, yeah, we actually have a bottle of Blanton's. It's this much. If you could be here and get it, it's yours, but hey, no holds, you know. So mm -hmm. don't be afraid. Ask around. Uh, but at the same time, if you come across one, you better have the money because it, it's cliche, but FOMO is a very big deal with allocated bottles. Yeah. Chances are very good. You will not have a second chance at it once you have one. So that's that. Just a little bit of uh, overall definition when we talk about in the future allocated whiskeys or limited run or rare whiskeys. And again, they're not always expensive. Um, you know, but a lot of the Buffalo Traces are, are reasonable. Some of the lower end Blantons are reasonable. Uh, some of the, the Van Winkles are only $90, $95 a bottle, which in the grand scheme of things is not that much money. Uh, so it's not just, you know, $1,000 bottles, $1,500 bottles, but they're just hard to come by. Yeah, that's fair. I, I mean, it, this is a whole world I haven't gotten into myself yet, but it's it's interesting. It is, um, you know, and th this is just the highest of the high. I mean, a lot of the rare, you know, rare, listen to me, a lot of the limited run, the numbered bottles that we talk about, you have a few, I have a few, we review them on the show. They are by definition allocated because they only made so many of them. Mm -hmm. but they're the much lower level that us peons can get. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. I've definitely got a few bottles downstairs that are numbered, but yeah. And that technically is also a form of allocation too, but you know, it's not nearly as sexy. So yeah, it's true. <laughs> All right. What about you? What are you doing for tools of the trade? Well, I figured I kind of shift this season into talking more about like cocktail classes and talking about, like oh, how to, God, I took another sip. Keep going. <laughs> how Come to on. move between different kinds of cocktails. So I want to talk a little bit about spritzers, wine spritzers, and uh, like champagne cocktails as well. So uh, we, back in like the 80s and 90s, uh, wine spritzers were pretty much the rage. Um, we, they, you know, were all over the place. It was a really nice, refreshing summer drink. Uh, and they kind of fell off during the, you know, the aughts and, and into the, the 20 teens and are starting to make a rise back up with some of the craft cocktail culture. Uh, some bars are actually making some pretty nifty um, craft wine spritzers, which I think are, are really cool. Um, but I think for a while, wine spritzers were kind of a, associated with our parents, right? Like. You know, the wine spritzer, the frozen mudslide, the wine cooler. Uh, th there was definitely an era of weird uh, convenience cocktails in the 90s 
um, that I remember my, you know, my, my, my mom's drink of choice is rum and coke. My dad's was a wine cooler. And that, like, the smell of that kind of stuff turned me off of alcohol for a while. Um, and it's, I think, you know, we, we see waves of cocktails, right? Like the 80s kind of saw uh, popularity of, of the martini. And, uh, you know, now we're starting to see, like, a, a much more craft, fresh, fresh ingredient cocktail culture and moving away from things like sour mix. So uh, wine spritzers are really fun. Uh, they're really great in the winter. Um, you probably don't want to use an expensive wine in your spritzer because you are going to no. toss it over ice and, and add a bunch of club soda. Um, but there are ways that you can amp it up. And you can do the same thing with the wine spritzer that you can do with interesting champagne cocktails. Um, now, when we think of champagne cocktails, we think m- mainly two, right? The the mojito, uh, mimosa, not the mojito, the mimosa and the bellini. <laughs> Um, and, and that's all well and good, right? You can splash in some juice. You can splash in some, splash in some peach nectar. Um, you can even do, uh, I, I've seen it made with like passion fruit nectar or something like that. Um, but there's a lot that you can do with, uh, herbs and vegetables and, uh, mints and fruits and things like that. And I felt like this is a kind of a good, uh, on ramp to talk about these kinds of things because we did talk briefly about sangria last week. We did. So the wine spritzer, uh, the historically and and again, like anything in cocktail culture, this is probably apocryphal, um, but uh, it, it's definitely rumored to have been made sometime in the nineteenth century uh, in Austria as a method of creating bubbly wine. Um, it seems like uh, it was apparently all the rage uh, because soda water was really popular back in 1842. Uh, so uh, somebody brought a bottle of soda water to a wine cellar and they tried to combine it and came up with this crazy kind of simple cocktail. Um, the basic recipe of a wine spritzer is three parts white wine with one part club soda. Uh, depending on who you ask, some people suggest ginger ale or uh, lemon-lime soda. Um, but there's a lot that you can do with these, right? Uh, you're not going to be making a punch with spritzers. You're going to make a lot of individual cocktails because the soda water is going to run out of that cocktail and make it flat and gross pretty quickly. So what you can do if you're having a party, you want to serve spritzers, is find seasonal fruits, and seasonal herbs, uh, you know, you can you can do kind of a mojito twist on it by finding some some mint and, and adding some citrus out there. Uh, you can do some interesting things with like pineapple and grapefruit. My personal favorite wine spritzer recipe, and and this doesn't sound good until you try it, Mark, um, but orange bell pepper and basil. You're right, that doesn't sound good. <laughs> but it actually makes a really good wine spritzer. You get a nice white wine, some good club soda, uh, so you know a sprig of fresh basil, uh, smash that thing up a little bit and throw it in with some bell pepper. It, it's a very weird flavor profile, but it does actually work extremely well. Um, I mean, it doesn't sound good, but it sounds better than this fucking bird dog. <laughs> so... <sighs> Um, and then in terms of, uh, like, champagne cocktails, you know, we know about the Bellini, we know about 
the mimosa, and those are some great brunch cocktails. Uh, but for evening, you can just do something as simple as tossing a few pips of pomegranate in or uh, dropping in uh, a few cranberries or something like that. Make it nice and simple. Try like one, maybe two little fruits. Um, I did see, I think I saw somebody put coconut jelly once into uh, champagne. I thought that was kind of weird, but I, I mean, it could work. Whatever you want to do. <laughs> I kind of dig it. Uh, I, I'm a big fan of a mimosa. And friend, my buddy Bob, who's an older gentleman, you know, you said it's part of that generation. He loves his white wine spritzers. Yeah. And when he was coming over the apartment, you know, my place semi-regularly, and we were watching football and different movies and whatever, I cannot remember the name off the top of my head. I want to say that it was white cat or red cat or whatever that was, but I don't think it, that's what it is. But one of these lonely housewife brand designer wines. Yeah. So, you know, red cat or yellow foot or whatever the fuck any of these ones are, they made a pre-bottled white wine spritzer. Mm -hmm. So it was pressurized and everything like champagne, but they made it strong enough you could freeze it. And that actually was really convenient. Bob always like really liked that. So if, if you uh, you know if you like a spritzer and you want to do it on the cheap, keep your eye peeled for that. Yeah, and I definitely encourage everyone to try it. Um, th this was kind of a sexist cocktail back in the day because it's low ABV and was specifically targeted at women as a skinny cocktail. Um, Until they unleash the vodka soda on yeah. the world. <laughs> uh, let's not be shitty, folks. I love a Cape Codder. I love a wine spritzer. Let's let's all just try everything and find something we like. Because they're all better than Bird Dog. <laughs> the anti-ad campaign here. L literally everyone is better than Bird Dog. That gets us into our topic, though, Mark. I'm excited for this topic. You're, you're like a drill sergeant. You break me down before you bring me back up, huh? Yeah. Hey, how's that bird dog? So tell me about your dream cars. Okay. So now this is a topic that DJ and I have been talking a lot about off air, just in random conversations about X, Y, and Z. It's also a topic that you probably imagine I've done a lot of thought about, and you'd be correct. <laughs> But it's complicated. You know, cars have been a major part of my life since I was literally four. Uh, I have, you know, been around them and doing X, Y, and Z. And so people who know me, they know that. And I always say, well, you're a car guy. You know, what, what's your dream car? You know, money, no object. What's your... Well, I, there's levels here. What are we talking about? This is a complicated question. <laughs> it's only complicated and, if you make it complicated, Mark. No, and I'm going to explain why it's complicated. We're going to go through levels here. So we're going to have a lot of different lists. And then finally, when we get to the end, I'm going to tell you what actually would be my dream cars. And you're going to be very surprised at this list. Now, when I was a kid, it should come as no surprise that the uh, walls of my bedroom were not plastered with posters of women. There was one poster of one woman, but uh, the rest of it was covered in cars. Uma Thurman. It was. It was the 1994 <laughs> Pulp Fiction poster of her on the bed with the, with the gun. My father bought that for me in 1994. 
And I had that, but it was an original. I had it my entire life until senior year of college and it got destroyed and I'm still bitter about it. <laughs> that was the only girly poster I had. All the rest were cars. And you, while there were some, what we would consider to be supercars, you know, there were some Ferraris. Uh, there was a, later on, there was a Pagani Zonda. That, you know, I was older then, things like that. The vast majority of them were much more down to earth because, okay, let's just talk about that. We're Americans, right? You know, we invented the concept of, you know, the dream of the American dream of you can have whatever you want if you work for it. But at the same time, a dream has to be attainable, right? Well, like, no, you know, so <laughs> it doesn't see, have to be attainable. See, to me, it does because you have to have hope. You know, like, well, you could say, oh, my dream is to win the Powerball. That's never going to fucking happen. <laughs> There's no hope there. Uh, so a lot of these super high-end cars that, you know, you see in the, the auto shows, and you know, you see on these fucking TV shows and whatnot, nobody's ever going to own them. I mean, half of these limited-run cars are sold out before they even build the first one. And so... I'm not really, that's one reason I'm not really super into these, you know, insanely high dollar hypercars. There's a bunch of other reasons, but that's the main one. That being said, there are a few exceptions. Now, I'm going to go through this list and I want you to tell me what the two common threads are here, DJ, okay? Mm -hmm. So these are, what, one, two, three, four. These are six just insane hypercars that if you had, a, well, five are insane hypercars and one is actually pretty down to earth. But, you know, if money's no object, I would get one of these. You have the Mercedes-Benz CLK GTR, which was a homologation special. It was a race car that they had to build so many road cars of to make it legal. They made 32 cars total, 20 hardtops, 5 roadsters, and 7 prototypes. You had the Ford McLaren Mustang. Ford and McLaren uh, actually came together for a a small displacement turbo Mustang in the 80s. They painted a bright McLaren papaya orange. and Oh, yeah, it was also a street legal version of a race car they wanted to go road racing with. They made 10 of those, although some sources say there were 32, but most places say there was only 10. Uh, you had the Lancia 037 Stradale, which literally in Italian means street version. <laughs> Again, it was it was a race car that they wanted to you know build so many of them to go in the street. Uh, only rear-wheel drive car to ever beat the Audi Quattro in the World Rally Championship, by the way. Last rear-wheel drive car to ever win the World Rally Championship. They made 207 of those total. The Maserati MC-12, another homologation special that they had to build so many road cars that they go racing. 62 total, uh, 50 road and 12 race. You have the Glickenhaus SCG004S which S, once again, stands for Stradale, which once again stands for road version. This is actually an American car. They actually build them up by you, DJ. They build them outside of Danbury, Connecticut. Oh, that's cool. And uh, James Glickenhaus, he was a bad B-movie uh, horror producer in the 80s, and he invested his money on Wall Street, and now he has enough money, he builds his own cars. And uh, they've only built 30 total so far, although they're not turning off production, so there'll be more to come. And then the last one is the SSC Ultimate Arrow, which was another American shed car. It was built outside of uh, Seattle, Washington. 
uh, actually held the title briefly of the fastest uh, production car in the Guinness Book of World Records. I could not find an actual number for that. Uh, SSC does not reveal how many they actually built. Some The highest number I've seen said 50. Most places say it's somewhere in the mid-30s. So what do you notice? They're pretty much all uh, limited run, very limited run, uh, road-going race cars. And they all, yeah, they all seem <laughs> to be race cars. Yeah, so uh, that would be if money's not. But I'm never going to own any of those. The closest I ever came was... Uh, there actually was an SSC Ultimate Arrow in the DuPont Registry, was it last year or was it during COVID, uh, for $595,000 outside of New Orleans. Jesus. Uh, but pretty much all the other ones, with the exception of a Ford McLaren Mustang. If you could find one of the McLaren Mustangs, they go for into the six figures, but they're not that expensive comparatively. All the rest of them go for multiple millions of dollars. I did get to see a G CLK GTR, though, at a car auction. I, I got to see it behind a velvet rope before it got auctioned off. So that was cool. Nice. So that's one reason why it's complicated, because I'm not into these insane cars. Like, you know, there's no Ferraris on that list. There's no Bugattis on that list. There's nothing like that. Likewise, being around cars my whole life, racing for as long as I did, I've been lucky enough, blessed enough, spoiled enough, pick your adjective, to own a lot of what I would consider to be dream cars or have pretty much unfeathered access to the bunch of what other people would consider to be dream cars. Um, you know, I've just picked a couple out because already at this point in my life, I'm 35. I'm like six months older than you. I'm 35. I've owned 19 cars, three motorcycles, a gas powered trike and two trailers already. <laughs> so this is just a partial list of some of the fun ones. You know, we had, we had the 72 Dodge Charger. That was my first car. Dream car because it's your first car. But it's also a dream car because I learned so much with that car. So much of what to do and so much of what not to do going forward with my modifications. Like, I'm not going to paint the engine gold anymore. Learn that lesson. <laughs> when you're 15 and you're young and you're dumb, that's what you do. Uh, I had a 65 Pontiac Catalina 2 Plus 2. That was kind of fun because that was the first car I ever bought solely for the engine. Had a big Pontiac 421 in it, and I just wanted to buy that. I didn't care if the floors were rotted out or the trunk was this or that or whatever. I just wanted the motor. Mm. Uh, I had the 65 Chevy Malibu, Super Sport. We talked about this with the old man. It was my version of his car. When I was three years old, he had a 65 Malibu. His wasn't a Super Sport, but he had a 65 Malibu uh, that he raced, and I thought it was the coolest car on the face of the earth when I was three, and I said, one day I'm going to have one. And one day I'm going to have one and it's going to be faster than his. And wouldn't you know who won the pony? I bought one. I hopped it up and it was faster than his. And I got to let him make a pass in it before we got rid of it. So he got to go quick too. So that was kind of fun. Mm. I wanted an FED style car, which for those of you not into the drag racing lingo, that means front engine dragster style. Um, if you look at modern, you know, skinny dragsters today, the engine's behind the driver. It's safer. It's better for weight distribution. It's this and that. Old school, the motor is right up front. You're sitting on the rear end. Your legs and your crotch are straddling the gearbox. It, it's an entirely different kind of flying altogether. I always wanted one of those. So that was when we went out and bought our 48 Fiat. That was insane. It was basically a pipe rack with an engine in the middle and a Fiat body thrown over the top. I wanted a quintessential American hot rod. I wanted the 1950s Southern California vibe. So that was when I bought my 27 Model T. I bought my Roadster. Played around with that a little bit. 
Uh, I just recently got an 87 IROC Z because, you know, I was born in 86 and the IROCs were some of the biggest, baddest things around. They were way cooler than a Fox body Mustang. I don't care what you Ford guys say. Search your feelings. You know it'd be true. It's the epitome of 80s chic. You take the roof off and you have these big call-outs and you can just hear Don Johnson in the suit in Miami Vice. It's fantastic. And then, you know, in December, I purchased uh, arguably probably my dream car, uh, the 75 Chevrolet Cosworth Vega. Uh, body and running gear by Chevrolet. Engine by the legendary Cosworth Engineering in Great Britain. Super limited run. They only made uh, 3,508 of them. There's less than 2,000 of them in the world. I've been trying to get this car for 15 years from its owner. And he finally relented. I finally had the money and just said, fuck it. This is what we're going to do. And was able to bring it home and, you know, own a piece of history, you know, a car that's been written about in books and things. So you're noticing a pattern there, you know, likewise, I've been able to drive, you know, I've had access to in the past a, 50, a 63 Galaxy 500 convertible, which was fun. It was a four speed. It was a stick. It was my first convertible. When I was dating the wife, I took her to the drive-in and it was kind of cool. Uh, 68 Barracuda. I had my buddy's 05 Viper. You know, I could just come and go and take it whenever I want. Oh, Robbie, I'm going to wash your car. Oh, cool. Keys are in it. Have fun. Uh, even the old man, I, I listed this. This is going to not blend in with the rest of these. But a 2004, I think it was. I have a question mark there. I, I, I didn't get a chance to ask the old man. But it was a Chevy, Chevy Silverado. Easy for me to say. 1500. So you're saying, okay, a base pickup truck. What's so fucking interesting about that? The old man had it custom built long <laughs> before this was a thing. Like of now you just go to the dealer did. and you, yeah, well, nowadays you just go to the dealer and you order these things. No, no. It was two wheel drive, long box, medium cab. So it only had like the two little bomber seats in the back. Yeah. Had the tow package, but then he had the 6.0 Corvette motor put in it. This was a fun fucking truck. <laughs> I tell you, I may have smashed it. That might have happened. Uh, <laughs> but again, you learn. So, you know, that that's a list of some of the things I've, I've owned. That's a list of some of the things I've had access to. And that's not there to brag. That's just there to give you an idea of, you know, some things that are impressive to X, Y, and Z might not be impressive to me and vice versa. Some things that I might find really impressive, most people might not. I've been a member of the numerous car clubs over the years. I'm technically still a member of three currently. I, I remember too many fucking clubs. So I've been able to see and drive some wild shit with them. I mean, in college, I helped a guy in the club I was in at the time. We built a car out of a casket. What? It's in a museum. Yeah, it's in a museum now. I'll send you pictures. It's fucking ridiculous. And you know what the hardest part about that was, DJ? What? Getting a casket when you're still alive. Really? That was, people thought we were freaks. It was the hardest fucking part of that whole thing. We had to find a funeral home going out of business and go to the auction and buy one. True story. Jesus. Uh, likewise, I was a valet at a country club for eight years. So I've driven a shitload of Ferraris. I've driven Maseratis and Audis and Porsches and Teslas and you name it, I've driven it. Um, I had the highest insurance rating that there was at that country club. So I was allowed to drive fucking everything and some of them are fun. Some of them are just eh. I mean, it is kind of cool when the $750,000 Rolls Royce pulled in with the cashmere interior. Yeah, that was fun. <laughs> but yeah. 
So because of all this, so now you have an idea of what shapes my world. Here are, and it took me a while to think about this, and it took me a while to put this list together. But here is my list of what I would consider dream cars in no particular order. But these are all actually attainable. And a few of them I've come very close to actually owning in the past. So the first one would be a 65 Chevrolet Corvair Monza Spider Turbo. Yeah, those are words. Rear engine. <laughs> it's This is the car that Ralph Nader once said was unsafe at any speed. <laughs> it's rear engine uh, behind you, convertible, stick shift. Uh, the second production car ever to be turbocharged. Oldsmobile beat Chevrolet out. Uh, just briefly, uh, GM actually was the first company to turbocharge a production car, not a race car. And uh, the Corvair was the second car. 1965 had the highest horsepower rating. Do you want to take a guess at how much horsepower the Monza Spider Turbo was putting out in 1965? 400. A blistering 180. Oh, Jesus. Uh, next on the list would be a 71 Dodge Demon 340. Uh, this was another car they only made two years, much like my beloved Cosworth. Uh, weirdly enough, not because it didn't sell, but because the evangelicals got after them. Oh, really? Yes, because it's the Dodge Demon, and the logo actually was a little goofy cartoon devil. And underneath, they wrote Demon, and the M in Demon was his pitchfork. And so a bunch of televangelists got after the Chrysler Corporation, and after two years, they renamed the demon to the Dart Sport. That's Ugh. boring. Um, but they came in wild colors. You know, uh, they had the 340. You could get it with a six-pack and a four-speed, so they were plenty quick for what they were, and they were just fun little cars. Uh, both the Corvair Monza and the Demon 340, I have actually come within fingers' grasp of purchasing. I, I've been within, you know, a breath of closing the deal and haven't been able to do it, but I will at some point. That's awesome. Uh, next one, next on the list would be the Mercur XR4 TI. Probably haven't heard of this one. Have you? I haven't heard of the vast majority of these. Our lists are very <laughs> different. <laughs> so the XR Mercur was a division of Ford. They brought over some of their European Ford cars and uh, so it's another actually Cosworth derivative road-based uh, race car. The XR4 Ti was part of the Sierra Cosworth line over in England. They brought them over here in America, but they're like, oh, we can't badge them as Ford. So they made up the Mercur brand. It lasted from like 84 to 88, was not very successful. These are actually pretty worthless. I mean, um, a Corvair Monza Spider, you're looking at fifteen to twenty thousand usually. A Demon three forty, you're looking at like eighteen to twenty five thousand. A Mercur, you can get a mint one for less than ten. Hmm. Like they're just they're worthless. <laughs> uh, next would be the nineteen ninety seven Dodge Viper GTS, and you want either a ninety six, a ninety seven, or a ninety eight Viper GTS for one very important reason, DJ. Yeah. Every Viper ever built. From, you know, 91 when they came out all the way up to 20, whatever, 17 or whatever the fuck the last year was. They all had a V10 engine. But 96, 97, and 98 were the only three years they came with forged internals. 
And do you know why that's important, DJ? I do not. Because you could take them completely stock as they were from the factory, but because the internals are forged, you can immediately put nitrous oxide on it. That's pretty cool. So you want one of those three years. Uh, they go for between sixty-five and 80000 depending on condition. And then last but not least is the Panos Esperante GTLM, which stands for Grand Touring Le Mans. Panos or Panos, depends. Again, this is our, our Italian versus Anglicized pronunciation. Oh, that was the other podcast. I'm mixing my podcast up here. But uh, Don Panos, who was a doctor, and he invented the nicotine patch, DJ. Jesus. <laughs> and so he became very wealthy because of that. So he too started his own car company building. They basically look like exotic Italian supercars, but they had big supercharged Mustang engines in them. And he built them in a small factory outside of Atlanta. And the Esperante GTLM stands for Grand Touring Le Mans because it won its class in the uh, Le Mans 24 hours. Uh, they go. They look very exotic, but they're simple to work on because they're basically a Mustang underneath with a fancy carbon fiber body. Uh, they go for about eighty to eighty-five thousand. So again, high end but attainable, and that's really about the limits of attainable for most people. Yeah, fair. Uh, you know, we talked about different styles of car. I mentioned the FED. I wanted one of those. I went and bought it. I wanted uh, a quintessential hot rod. I, I went and bought it. I want a gasser at some point which basically they have a big jacked up front end. They're, they're older cars, late 40s, early 50s. They have a big jacked up front end, straight axle underneath them, uh, you know, big injection sticking out of the hood. Really goofy looking, but it was a way they were trying to race in the 50s. I want one of those. I've almost bought a couple. I will at some point. Wasn't the Vista Cruiser the car in that 70s show? It was. Yeah. And so you're jumping ahead of me. Last but not least, I also would like to buy a state, an old station wagon at some point, whether it be a Vista Cruiser or a <laughs> Ford Country Squire, you know, something with a big motor, a luggage rack and wood paneling down the side. And then if I ever retire, which, <laughs> you know, somebody in the nonprofit world thinks they're going to retire. <laughs> but if I ever retired, I have some free time. I would love to buy a Caterham 7 which literally is a car in a box that you get from England and you put it together yourself. It's a one-to-one -one scale model kit. And at the end of the day, you have a car. Uh, and I would love to do that at some point. That's fair. So there's my list. It's complicated. <laughs> <laughs> Mine is very much less complicated. Well, you go now. All right. So uh, I figured I'd start off with cars I've owned um, because I don't really have any other categories. Um, That's I, not your whole list now, is it? That is my whole list. You've um, owned four. I've, on, I've only ever, like, personally owned four. Um, so I, I learned how to drive on my dad's, like, I don't fucking know, like, 97 Ford Exploder. Um, and, uh, my, my mom has generally had like Camrys and Avalons growing up. Uh, my dad had a Prius for a while. Uh, so I've kind of like, I learned how to drive on all of those. And then, uh, my dad has like a Highlander now. Uh, so God, see that's, that, that, if, if we were to include my parents' cars and the shit that I was taking from them and driving, I'd be pushing 50. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but in terms of <laughs> cars I can truly call my own, I've only ever owned four. So uh, there was... What about one, Holly? 
Uh, Holly uh, has, let's see, there was a Subaru, there was a little Mazda, there was a Buick, and now she dri- she drives the Matrix. Okay, four for four, okay. Yeah. Uh, so my first car was a, was actually a, was Lemon Laud. Um, <laughs> it, uh, it, 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 it basically, we think somebody tried to scam Ford and they just finally bought it back to, to get rid of the hassle. So, uh, it was a 1997 two wheel drive Ford Ranger, my, my rusty steed. Um, it, it was just a fucking great car. Uh, the danger Ranger. Yeah. The danger Ranger. I, I did so much terrible shit to that car. Uh, I cracked an axle once because, uh, two wheel drive pickup trucks fuck all in the snow. They are just fucking terrible. Yep. <laughs> yep. Uh, I, I had to have like the front end rebuild. Uh, just, just some, I, that poor truck went through so much. Um, and I also, uh, I, I knew again, fuck all about cars at this point. I had just gotten my license. I was working at a car dealership, but I wasn't doing any mechanic work. I was only doing like, like a uh, lot cleaning and detailing. So like I knew how to clean a car and no fuck all about how to take care of one. I definitely, uh, poured wiper fluid in the coolant tank at one point. Like just, <laughs> just, just fucked this car up so many different ways. Um, I also like I, the simplest things, like I didn't know anything about, uh, like car, um, car scent thingers. So I got one of those like green pine smelling ones, and just tore the whole package off and hung it up. And the next morning I, I get in the car and it just smells like a forest. It's like a dump in the car. Um, so my, my truck just completely smelled of pine forever. Like it's, it's burned into my memory. Um, it was a single cab. Uh, there was like the, you pulled the seats forward and there was enough room for a toolbox and a flare. And that was it. Um, it's my type of truck. I fucking loved it. it. Like it was at bucket seats. You could slide across. Uh, that was really nice. Um, I just, it, and I just kind of fell in love with pickup trucks at that point. I love the sound of a pickup truck. Um, I love being able to haul shit around in my bed. Um, it was just great. Uh, that lasted, uh, I got that in, fuck, when did I, that was probably 2003, uh, and that lasted me all the way to 2009, but it was, it was failing hard, like, I think at one point, the whole muffler dropped out of it, and I dragged it home without realizing it, um, weight reduction, yeah, uh, my brother was a car guy at the time, so he just did something, and my truck was really loud for a while until I could get to a body shop to help me out. Uh, yeah, so that was my first car. My second car was a 2010 Toyota Matrix. I still technically own this car. It's now Holly's car. Um, I bought it in 2009. Uh, it's a fucking workhorse. Uh, like I, I took this car up the Kangamangas to like break it in. Um, and, uh, just, it, it has driven up and down the Eastern seaboard twice. Uh, it's all wheel drive. It's fantastic. Um, the, the only bad thing I have to say about the matrix is that the aux cord connection broke after a year and I've never gotten it fixed. 
Which that's weird for you, because like of all the things in a car that would be a deal breaker for you, that seems like it'd be one of them. Yeah, uh, no, I just actually I reverted back to just having a binder of CDs in the the seat next to me for a while. Um, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, uh, my third car is the car I absolutely hate, and I, I honestly it's worn me off Fords. I I, I got a 2013 Ford Fusion because uh, Holly totaled the the Buick, uh, just a freak accident. Uh, and we need another car. And so I gave her the matrix. Cause again, it's an all wheel drive workhorse. That thing doesn't do anything wrong. So I was like, all right, Hey, you were in a car accident. Have the safe car. Uh, I, I loved the fusion for all of maybe two months. And then it just kept having issues and, I, Ford cannot make a normal car. Uh, I'm just, I mean, gonna, just that's true. making the statement here. Um, <laughs> Although the 500 was really good, but they only made that like two years. Yeah, it's it's just a piece of shit. Um, so I got rid of that uh, in 2019 and got basically the modern equivalent of my dream car, which we will go into later. <laughs> um, but uh, the, the, the my, my love and joy is my 2020 Toyota Tacoma SR5 pickup truck. Um, full uh, extended cab, so four doors. Uh, I got the short bed on it so I can actually fucking park the thing. Um, but it's great. It's, it's a workhorse. Uh, it hauls anything I want. It's a lovely car. It has Apple CarPlay. I held out for the 2020 model so I could get Apple CarPlay. Oh, Jesus, fuck. So that, that's the level of, like, uh, of car interest that we're at here. So uh, I'm about to take you on a fucking ride of dream cars. Are you ready for this, Mark? Now, now wait a minute. I'm looking at your list here. Start at the bottom. <laughs> B- build to the grand finale. Here. Okay, okay. Uh, so I... I guess I'm just going to get the shitty one out of the way. I have a weird fascination and love of minivans. No, no. Okay. See, normally this is where everybody would turn up the volume because they think I'm just going to shit all over you. The old man for a little while when he was doing his paper route had a uh, Plymouth Voyager minivan. And I loved it because I took it the one day. And he didn't know you could do this. I took all the seats out of it and made it a big cube van. Yeah. <laughs> and at first he was really pissed off, but then he loved it. So we love driving that big fucking cube van. So I can kind of get that. Yeah. I, I don't know what it is. I just, I, it's like a nostalgic thing for me. Like we used to drive it to vacations. My dad had one for a while. It was a super smooth ride. I think he had like a Ford Windstar. And they were just really comfortable. I liked the big seats in the back. The bucket seats were really fun to to sit in. They were super comfortable. Um, There's just something, and I get it, like it's not shiny, but like I could definitely see myself owning an all-wheel drive minivan someday. (laughs) Um, All right. Uh, In 2024, VW is bringing back the bus. Uh, yeah, see, I had to look up what this was because yeah. I didn't know. I had to Google this, and then when I saw it, I was like, "Oh, okay." Yeah, I get it now. Th- this is my this is my one like umbrella call out for electric vehicles because I really contemplating contemplated putting Tesla on this list, but I'm still fucking angry at the monstrosity that the Cybertruck is. So 
Tesla doesn't get on my dream car list. And I mean, not even saying because it's an electric, but just because it's a Tesla. I've driven a bunch of Teslas in my life. They're not that impressive. The interiors are very cheap. Yeah, I just, I really want to like a Tesla. I just, you know what? It's a toxic fandom. Oh, yes. <laughs> I am so sick of talking to Tesla owners and just like, man, do those people like, dude, that is not a luxury car. Get off your fucking high horse. The fun thing, though, is you usually don't have to listen to them that long because they are usually too busy losing money on their crypto. Yeah, that too. Uh, so my my one appeal to to electric vehicles, I've always just been kind of fascinated with VW buses. Um, so uh, they are coming out with an all electric one in 2024 called the ID Buzz, um, and I'm. I don't know that I'll actually get one, Mark, but it looks shiny. It does. I'm actually looking at a picture of it right now. I think you should. I would come up and fucking, we'd go cruising in this. Yeah. I think you should do it. I just, I kind of love it. It's just, it's quirky and weird and, you know, what's life without quirkiness? Um, Life is too short to drive a boring car. I agree. Uh, my, my like shoot for the moon dream car is the Aston Martin V12 Vanquish. Um, I'm never going to this. I'm never going to drive one of these. <laughs> I'm never going to see one in person. Um, but I did get obsessed with it. Uh, I, I think it was like James Bond, everything or nothing or something like that on the GameCube, And he drove, uh, an Aston Martin Vanquish and a Porsche Cayenne. And both were really fun to play in the game. So I'm just kind of a, a minorly obsessed with the Vanquish. Don't say that you're never going to own one. Don't say you're never going to drive one. I've driven a V12 Vanquish. Yeah, but you're a car it, guy. I'm a computer guy that reads books and watches anime. I'm never going to drive one. <laughs> there's plenty of Aston Martin driving experiences. I'll get you to one at some point. Things are opening up again. COVID is slowly right. falling. I'm not going to say over, but it's falling. <laughs> That's fair. Um, the only, I would say, the only really old-ish car I would put on this list is the Chevy El Camino. I almost bought one a couple months ago. Mostly. They're be- fun. And, and this is going to sound like, this is going to sound kind of silly, but mostly because I had a huge crush on a guy who had no Camino in high school. So I just have fond memories of him pulling up in an El Camino and it was very cool. Now, Um, what ones do you like? Do you like the more square ones from the eighties? Do you like the rounder ones from the seventies? What what has your interest here? Uh, I I don't know, man. I just like the El Camino. You're asking way too many (laughs) questions of this dude. Um, the, so the second to last one, or I guess should say number two before we reveal number one, uh, is the Ford Mustang. And I don't have any, like, I know that Shelby's exist. I know that there's crazy different configurations for them. I did get a chance on our honeymoon, uh, to, they, they bumped us up to a Ford Mustang for free. And I, we got to drive off into the sunset of New Mexico in a Ford Mustang, and it was just so cool. Could you even hear the engine over your own squeal? <laughs> I couldn't. It was amazing. Uh, like, and I mean, whipping around. We had a two and a half hour drive up 
through like the mountains of New Mexico. So I'm like whipping around like trailer trucks and I, it was, it was an amazing driving experience. I mean, it's not, it's not a super comfortable luxury car. Um, no fuck was there power <laughs> underneath that hood. And I was impressed. So, uh, it Mustang definitely makes it on my list. Um, so my real dream car and the reason why I drive a Tacoma today is the 1985 Toyota Hilux pickup deluxe four by four extra cab, also known as Marty McFly's truck from back to the future one. It's true. Completely. Obsessed. And three. He has it in three. He does have it in three. That's right. Uh, th- there is that moment where they play chicken and he doesn't die. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I, I absolutely love that pickup truck. Like just those were very formative movies for me as a kid. And everybody else really liked the DeLorean. And honestly, I love the DeLorean. Um, but like for me, it was all about Marty getting that pickup truck at the end of the first movie. And I was like, yes, I want that when I grow up. Now see that checks all of the boxes because it's cool. It's somewhat rare. It has a personal connection and it's attainable. Yeah. Yeah. I'm never going to own a vanquish, but I could potentially own a 1985 pickup truck at some point. You could realistically own any of your other one. I mean, even a Vanquish isn't super far out there. But if you take the Vanquish out, literally any other one on your list, you could probably have tomorrow if oh, you wanted yeah. to. Yeah, I, I, I am seriously considering the VW ID Buzz just because I kind of think it would be really silly to go from a pickup truck to a, an electric VW hippie bus. Hey, if you go to my father-in-law's right now, my mother-in-law, my father-in-law's, he has his car, which is a 2018, 2018 or 2019, I don't know, last year with the fucking pandemic, uh, Ford Mustang convertible with every single option but one. And then next to it is the new car he just bought for my mother-in-law, which is the new electric Hyundai. Nice. So he has the best of both worlds. That's fantastic. Yeah, I Holly, uh, there's one other thing I would put on this list, and I didn't really put it on here because I went and looked up what they actually have for offerings today, and uh, I, I'm just not impressed. But I, Holly did own an old like luxury Buick car, and that thing was a boat, and it was amazing to drive now you know you say you're not that impressed with their current offerings the 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 regal turbo sticks or i've driven a couple of them they're very comfortable and they are scary fast i i ju- i was looking up the website as i was prepping for this website uh, this episode uh and it really seemed like all they advertise is suvs now and like, if well, I was, that's all American car companies in general advertise anymore, sadly. Yeah. Uh, so like anything that's like a coupe or a car or things like that are considered Buick legacy. And I just it's so it's so silly talking to you about cars for me, because whenever I think of cars, I'm like, oh, I should look at what's new. And your perspective is always <laughs> I'm going to get something old as fuck. <laughs> well, I mean, I I. 
enjoy working on things myself. Not just, I mean, I, I genuinely enjoy it, but it, it does also save you a little bit of money. And it saves you a little bit of time. So I always want something that I could fix with a brick and a piece of string. Um, although that being said, most new cars, working on them isn't even the issue. I mean, some things are just brutally difficult and you need a series of specialized tools and, you know, it's just not worth the headache. But a lot of stuff isn't super difficult, but figuring out what the fuck is wrong, because it's all just computers and you have to be like, give me the code to tell me what I need to change. Uh, that's the difficulty. Once you diagnose them a lot of the time, it's not the end of the world. Yeah. Uh, interestingly enough, we saw, I, you know, generally my, my thing with a car is I, I get a wild hair up my ass. I want something. I just go out and buy it on the way home on Sunday. The wife and I were coming home. We were out gallivanting and I was behind a very small, clearly foreign pickup truck. And when I say very small, I mean, have you ever seen the cars that the Shriners drive? No. Okay. Um, I'm going to look this up. But yeah, just, just Google in, you know, but the, the, the Shriner cars. No, not card. Car. <laughs> oh. Why? So, uh, imagine something uh, only slightly bigger than that, but we're fully enclosed. Like, uh, have you ever played any of the Gran Turismos? No. No. Well, for any of our listeners that have played any of the Gran Turismos, you know, when you start off, you have a very limited supply of money. Uh, Polyphony Studios is based in Japan, so they have a shitload of what are called Japanese K cars. Just these super small city-dwelling cars that they only ever sold in Japan. And this was clearly one of those. And as I got closer, I saw that he had an antique license plate on the car. Now, in Pennsylvania, to get an antique plate, you have to be at least 25 years or uh, The car has to be at least 25 years old or older. And it's kind of fun because it gets you out of yearly safety inspections and gets you out of registration and a whole bunch of different things. And as we caught up to it at a stoplight, all of the badging on the back of this truck was in kanji. So I couldn't read any of it. But in the center, there were the three diamonds. And I said, okay, it's a Mitsubishi. It's clearly Japanese. I said, I bet you that that's 30 years old and he imported it. Because in America, even if a car was never sold here, if it couldn't pass emissions, if it couldn't pass safety, yada, 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 if a car was never sold here, once it's 30 years old, you can import them to America. I said, I bet you that's a fucking legitimate Japanese car. I said, I'm going to blow by this guy. Look out the window, see if the steering wheel's on the wrong side. It was. So now I'm like, cool, I'm going to stop this guy and buy this truck. <laughs> and the wife was like, no, you can't fucking, absolutely not. You won't even fit in the fucking thing. Get the fuck out of here. So, yeah, small Japanese trucks are where it's at. Nice. I'm going to Google, see if I could find tiny, tiny Mitsubishi pickup uh, oh my god it's the first fucking result that comes off <laughs> <laughs> the mitsubishi minicab that's what all that kanji in the back meant was minicab that's not that's see never meet your heroes now it's not nearly as cool um but anyway that's that's fucking uh dream cars and you know fun you were talking about the delorean you were talking about back to the future 
John DeLorean, he was a real dude. He designed three cars, personally designed three cars in his life. He co-designed a shitload more of them, but he, he personally designed three cars in his life. The Pontiac GTO, the Chevrolet Cosworth Vega, and the DeLorean. I have owned two of the three in my life already. <laughs> so I need to buy a DeLorean and complete the set. Mm. They've gone way the fuck up, though. They oh, really God. have. But anyway, that's Dream Cars and Whiskey. I want to thank you all for listening to us just pontificate on the values of cars, both good, bad, big, small, ugly, beautiful, etc., etc. Life's too short to drive boring cars, folks. Uh, likewise, life's too short to listen to boring podcasts. So we're, we're grateful that you're here with us. Uh, make sure you subscribe if you haven't already. Make sure you give us a like on uh, Spotify or, uh, you know, Apple Podcasts or whatever. Give us a rating if you can, you know, give star ratings. Let us know what you think. Let us know you like the episode. It really helps us get up in the charts. Uh, we have our website. We have Facebook. We have Instagram. We have Gmail. Uh, we're the Wit and Whiskey cast on all of these. No H in Wit. There is an E in Whiskey. Uh, so yeah, I got it right. I've been practicing. I'm Getting so ready proud. For season five. I've been good, ready for season five. Bringing that heat. Uh, bringing the heat. Uh, we're, we're on fucking everywhere you can listen to fucking podcasts. Spotify, Apple, Podbean, Google, Listen Notes, Audible, Amazon. You, you fucking name it. It's like 30 fucking places. You can get it on DJ's truck. Yeah. You can listen to us in DJ's truck. You so. can. Uh, so we have that. Big shout out to Duno Henry Silver for the intro music, the outro music. We're going to send you to a SoundCloud. You know, he's a fucking renaissance man. He plays music. He likes Star Wars. He writes books. He comes and hangs out with us and talks different bullshit. So we love Nuno. It's true. We love you, buddy. What are we doing next week on this various list of different things? Well, I, I added a bunch of extra stuff. And I, I actually think this could be a really interesting topic because it's not really something we've talked about before. All right, go on. Collecting in whiskey. Ooh. Now we talked a little bit about the cars that you've collected over the years, but I was thinking <laughs> like we could talk about the various CCGs we're into. We could talk about like, I, I have a fairly large signed book collection. We could talk about like co collecting tech or comics. Like I'm ADD. So I've, I, we could fucking talk about the giant fucking Lego collection I'm looking at right now. <laughs> I was going to say, I like the the episode idea. I, I think it's a good one. Uh, it's probably going to be a two-parter. <laughs> um, full disclosure, folks, DJ and I are not collectors. People would probably say we're hoarders. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I am all for that. Let's do that. Awesome. So you heard it here, here. Yeah, you heard it here first, folks. I have a coating of syrup on my mouth. <laughs> I cannot talk. I'm all gummed up. Uh, next week is going to be collecting in whiskey. Dare I say we might even talk about collecting whiskey? <laughs> we might. Uh, I can talk so, about my giant bucket of liquor in the basement. What? I, yeah, you are going to talk about because. I have many questions. And we don't have the. You can't just drop that in the last forty-five seconds of an episode. I can, yeah, totally. We'll talk about it next week. What the? F oh God! All right. So on that fucking migraine-inducing revelation, uh, I'm Marta Seti for DJ Gagan. Salute. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> <laughs>